Hello, brothers and sisters. Um, as Pastor Anthony had said, we are looking at the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. Once again, we are now in chapter 10, and we'll be looking at the effectual calling of God, the effectual call. If you do have um, the handout with you, you can see on the, on the inside there, it has four, four paragraphs in this chapter, chapter 10, and then um, we have the, uh, the, um, the headings that I have here. So it'll be, uh, I'll be looking at six headings uh, pulled from paragraphs one and two. And heading number one, you see there, is the inability of mankind. Heading number two is the power of Almighty God. Number three, the power of the Word and the Spirit. Number four, all of grace. Number five, the general call. And number six, the effectual call, or the effectual call of God. So a very good definition of what we're going to be looking at tonight, the effectual call of God, is actually in paragraph number two. So if you do have your handout there, paragraph number two, I'll go ahead and read that whole thing. It says, this effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone. It does not come from anything at all foreseen in man, nor from any power or agency in the creature working together with God's special grace. Rather, the creature is completely passive in the matter, being dead in his sins and trespasses until being made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. This is accomplished by nothing less than the power which raised up Christ from the dead. So, a while back I was speaking with um, uh, one of the brothers here, and he was expressing to me how it, it saddened him that he wasn't able to spend all the time with his children that he liked equally. So, um... He says he would be home sometimes, and one child would want him to color with him at the table, and one child would want him to play with toys on the floor, and another would want to go outside or show him something. And it, it, it broke his heart that he couldn't be with all of them at the same time. How much greater is God's affection for his children? And because God is not like us, he has no limitations So he does not have this problem that we have. God can spend that time with every single one of his children at all times, all the time. So imagine it like this. How many of God's elect children are alive on the earth today? We obviously don't know that number, but imagine that. God is so powerful and infinite, and he is everywhere at all times omnipresent, that he can be with every single child of his as if you were the only one, meeting your very need right now as if his only focus was on you. This is the power of the Almighty God, and this emphasizes the intimacy of God with his children and taking care of every single one of our needs, how much greater his desire to take care of his children than ours is. I love the title um, of this chapter tonight, so the effectual calling of God, because that's exactly what it is. No man-made religion has a God or can come close to the one true living God of the Scriptures, who again draws near to us 
unlike anyone else, knows everything about you, has made you and created you from the very beginning, knew your name and everything about you, and you're his child here tonight. If you're a Christian, he knows everything that's going on in your life, and he's providing everything you need. And this is who we will be looking at and marveling at this evening, the intimate and effectual God. So, heading number one, the inability of mankind. In order for us to understand God's effectual calling, we must understand that man is unable to come to God. We are without the capabilities of coming to God because of our sin and our fallen nature. So when it comes to explaining man's relationship with his God after the fall, some of our Arminian brothers like to tell an analogy of lost man out at sea, and lost man calls out to God, and God from the the ship of salvation throws out a life preserver. And man is in the ocean, and he reaches out, and he grabs that life preserver, and then God pulls him onto the the ship of salvation, um, and then he comes to saving faith in God. But that is not how the Bible explains our condition. The reality of that scenario is this. That mankind is at the bottom of the ocean, six feet under the sand, and the almighty power of God comes down to the depths, pulls out man, brings him onto the ship, breathes new life into him, and then he's able to respond to that as air comes back into his lungs, his heart begins to beat again, and he's alive to the things of God as he was before the fall, and then he cries out to God. This is what the Bible teaches of our state and our fallenness and then how God brings us back to him. So what happened to mankind that made him unable to come to God? Genesis 2.17, we all know it. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. In the garden, we died to the things of God. This is actually what happened, right? God made us and created us in his image. We were alive to the things of God. God walked with us in the coolness of the day. God gave us one command, and that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We sinned against him, and we died to the things of God. God banished us from the garden, the presence of God, and he put an angel at the gate so we could not come back into the presence of God until God does something about it. This is where fallen man is, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Dead means dead. It is impossible for a dead man to respond to the things of God. See, they are these, the things of God are foolishness to him because he's now dead. He was alive to God. Adam and Eve wanted God, but when they died to God, they actually died. They no longer desire him, but they desire to live for themselves, to be their own God, to be their own kings and queens and be autonomous from God, self-lawed and self-governed. Lazarus, so picture this, right? At the tomb of Lazarus, imagine Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're standing at the tomb, and they're crying out to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come back to us. Lazarus, we miss you. No matter how 
much they scream and yell, how loud they lift their voices, or how many tears they shed, Lazarus isn't coming out. He's dead. Dead men cannot respond to anyone or anything. Heading number two, the power of Almighty God. It will take the power of God to bring us back to life from the grave. If you have your Bibles with you, if you please open to Ezekiel 36, 26. That's Ezekiel 36, 26. And everyone I know is familiar with this passage as well. I'll go ahead and read it now. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, when we die to the things of God, our hearts became stone. Why is Ezekiel, God through Ezekiel, using the, the example of stone? Because stone is dead, right? It's lifeless. It can't respond. That's what our hearts were. We were really dead to the things of God. No, we didn't desire what God wanted for us. We lived as if he did not exist, and he never gave us a command. We live for ourselves. Psalms 110.3 says, Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. Those that have been changed by God now freely respond to the things of God, just like we were in the garden before the fall. That was, that was Psalms 110.3. It says that, they will volunteer freely in the day of his power. And the day when he brings forth his Messiah and the call goes out to the lost and those that respond, they're regenerated within, the power of God comes in and they're awakened to the things of God by him changing our heart, giving us a heart of flesh that now is alive to the things of God once again as it was in the garden. God demonstrates his power by taking something that was dead, corrupted, rotten, had a, we had a bent towards sin and not towards God any longer, and he makes it new. It's one thing for God to create something brand new. It's another thing for God to take something that is rotten to the core and to make it, not just clean it up on the outside, but change it within and make it new. And that's exactly what God has done to our stony hearts when he gave us new hearts through the power of his spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are not who we used to be. Praise God, right? If you can remember who you were back then, it's good to remember who you were, and it's good to look at what God has done, even though it feels like you're not growing very quickly in your sanctification process, but look back and remember before God saved you who you were and the way you used to think. The power of God is working within us. We are actually new as he says we are new in his word because God has done a work within us. John 5, 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. This is Jesus speaking here, and we know everything he's saying is going to come to pass. And when he speaks, this actually happens, when he calls. 
John chapter 11, Lazarus again, okay? So we all know Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus and he calls out, Lazarus, in a loud voice, come forth. And the very moment that Jesus calls the name of Lazarus and gives the command, Lazarus' heart begins to beat in his chest once again. And air and breath, oxygen enter his lungs and he comes forth out of the tomb because the incarnate God, the almighty power of God, The fullness of God indwelled in Jesus Christ calls out to the dead man in the grave and he responds. Jesus called us by name while we were dead and new life began. We were born again to the things of God just again like Adam and Eve before the fall. We are now alive to the things of God. God awakened us by the power of his spirit through the calling, his calling of his word. Um, Heading number three, the power of the word and the spirit. Ezekiel 2.27 says this, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my my ordinances. God does his calling and regenerating work through the power of his word, his preached word, and his spirit. And when he sends his spirit, it grips us within and changes us. And again, we become alive to the things of God once again from our fallen nature. Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing By the Holy Spirit. Regeneration again, right? God comes in, changes that heart, gives us a new heart by the power of his spirit and his word. And he sends his spirit, the helper within us, that changes us once again to we no longer walk in our old ways for ourselves, but now we want to live for God and walk in his ways once again. We now want the things of God and desire him once again. We no longer want our sin and to serve ourselves and serve our old father, Satan, slave master, but we want God now. Once again, we want Christ because God does the mighty work within. Um, you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. 2, 13, I'll read. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we not have the power to change ourselves, that work that is brought about only by the Holy Spirit, but but God's choice And his calling of us was not based on anything he saw in us. He chose us in the Son before the foundations of the world. Our names were written in the Lamb's book of life, the book of Revelations. Our names were written already before the foundation of the world. It wasn't an accident that God called you and you were awakened to him and you believed. God calls his children. God is in the business of rescuing his children. And that's what he's doing in this time before the return of Jesus Christ. Heading number four. 
all of grace, all of grace. There is nothing that we can contribute to our salvation, no amount of church attendance, Bible reading, time in prayer, repeating a prayer, or following the Ten Commandments could ever awaken us from death to life. Now, does God use those things sometimes as the means to bring us to Him? Absolutely. But it is the power of God and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to life, not religious good works. Many false religions are doing those very things, but God has not called them to Himself. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Anything we do to try and earn favor with God is an offense to Him. It is an abomination. It is saying that the work of His Son was not sufficient. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. It's saying that the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't enough. God, your, your son's blood and sacrifice, you crushed him and it wasn't enough. And Hebrews 10 tells us that it's like trampling on the blood of Jesus. That's an offense, an abomination to God Almighty. Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This great calling of God is a gift, so no one ever, when he stands before the great throne of God in eternity, can ever say, God, I've earned this. I deserve this. I did this and this and this. No, All those good works were filthy rags to a righteous and holy God. We can only accept the gift of God that's given by God in his calling of him calling us first. The the hymn, I Hear the Savior Say, I took two of the last lines from there, says this. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white and the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died to save my soul, my lips shall still repeat. That's the only thing that we will be saying before the great throne of God. And praise God that we can. Heading number five. General call. The general call. Right? So this general call goes out to the entire world through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And then um, Matthew or Mark 16, the Great Commission is also there. And in there, you know, God tells us, or Jesus tells the disciples to go out into all the world and to preach 
the gospel. Why go out into the world to preach the gospel? Because Jesus is building his church. And the way Jesus builds his church is he calls lost and dead sinners to himself through the preaching of the word, and then the power of the Holy Spirit meets that and awakens us, quickens us to the things of God. And the call goes out by us. We need to be the faithful ones to bring that gospel message to the world. And this call goes out to the world, and the world hears, and God's children respond as they're awakened to it. The parable of the sower that uh, Pastor Anthony preached a couple weeks ago in Mark chapter 4, we see there the, the three... The three places where the, um, the three different soils before saving faith, on the road, the rocks, and the thorns. And all three of those places, the gospel seed goes out, but none of them take root. None of them come to life. None of them last because it wasn't the almighty, or it was, it was just the general call of God going out. They did not respond because there was no quickening and awakening by the power of the Spirit. They did not turn to God. They continued in their sin and rather have the world than God. They are making a free choice to live for themselves, continuing, continuing to hate God. But this general call goes out to all men, all kinds of men, no matter what they have done or who they are or the color of their skin. The gospel goes out through the whole world. Heading number six, effectual call. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the church are the called out ones. We are the called out ones from the world, right? We're in the world, we're lost, we're living for ourselves. God's call comes out, calls your name. You respond to the gospel because he quickens you and you come out of the world and you are part of the church, universal all over the globe. What, what an amazing truth that is, right? Sometimes it can be intimidating to live in this world and they want you to be intimidated, right? Right? The world wants you to be intimidated. They want you to be afraid. They want you to go hide in your house because the enemy doesn't want you to preach the gospel. But what an amazing truth it is that the greatest thing that's happening all over this globe is God's church. Believe it or not, there's more of us than there is of them. We are all over the planet. And this great gospel goes out all over as Jesus continues to build his church. So we need to hold, hold our heads up high and continue to trust in the mighty work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he is on the throne. Right now, Romans 8.30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, those that he calls were also predestined before the foundations of the world. It is a supernatural call of God. It's not us turning over a new leaf are deciding one morning that i got to be a better person and then choose to follow God. It is something that God does that's beyond us, supernatural. It is not some place we arrive at on our own through the intellect, right? Or some kind of mountaintop that we get to, or we read enough books, or we get to some kind of status where we reach God, or go to the ends of the earth to find God or salvation. No, it is... He is so near to us and so close that he's here in this room that anyone who doesn't know him tonight can call out and be saved by the power of God, the supernatural work of God and the Holy Spirit. It is met with power. Again, not our power, power of words or our power of persuasion. It's the power of Almighty God that created all things, that called all things into life by the word of his power. 
John 10, 14 says this. Everyone knows this passage. It's sweet. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. If you're here tonight, and you are a regenerated believer in the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of God. It is Jesus who called you personally by name. He called you as one of his sheep and he welcomed you in as the great shepherd and he loves you in that way. I know in our culture we don't have shepherds and sheep, but if you study that, how much, especially back then, that these shepherds cared for their sheep, that they laid down their lives for the sheep. I love John 10, that whole section of Jesus being this, this, uh, the good shepherd of his people. Uh, one of my pastors from California, actually one of my first pastors, in one of his sermons, he was um, sharing his testimony. And he had shared that he, he grew up in um, Vallejo, California. I don't know if any of you are familiar, but it's real close to Oakland. And he grew up on the streets. So he was a young man getting in a lot of trouble. There was a pastor from a church one day that came by and saw him and his friends invited him and a couple of his friends to come to the church so he can talk to them. So only him and one of his friends decided to come. And they sat down in the pastor's office, from what I remember, and the pastor began, began to lay out the gospel to them. All right, And as he was sharing the gospel with them, um, the pastor that I knew, at, at the time, of course, he wasn't saved, but he was sharing the gospel. He said something began to change in him as this pastor was sharing the gospel with him. But he looked over his friend, nothing was changing in his friend. And he continues to tell um, the story um, of his, uh, his testimony. Um, and he tells that even to that day, when he was preaching that, to that day, 20 years later, his friend is still lost and in sin and living for himself and still in all the, the corruption that he was in. And when he was telling the story, he was in tears. He, he said, what, why was I chosen? What, what was it in him did, did he just somehow decide to believe or did something just spark in him? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, well, this sounds interesting to me more than what I'm doing in my life. No, he shared that, no, it was the almighty power of God and the call of God, that the gospel call goes out, and drew him to him, and Jesus called him by name, and he came. <clears throat> he was quickened by the Spirit of God, and he repented of his sins and turned to God. And it was just, it was beautiful when he shared that testimony because that's, that's what it is. We stand back and we say, Lord, I don't understand all this, but praise God that you saved a wretched sinner like me because I could be who I used to be still and like all the other lost that I see in the world still living for themselves. He calls those who are not looking for him. That doesn't mean that there's not religious people and then, you know, somehow in the word they hear the gospel and they're saved for sure. But they weren't looking for him, the God of the Bible, Jesus of the Bible, not the false Jesuses, but the true Jesus of the scripture. He calls those that are not looking for him. We see this in the Gospels. Um, Matthew at the tax collector's booth, right? Matthew's doing his thing as a tax collector, right? Sitting there, you probably count into all the money and all, no doubt, shaving some off the top, pocketing it, right? Putting, that's what the tax collectors did. Everyone hates him. He doesn't care. He's doing his thing. Jesus walks by and says what? Matthew, follow me. 
Get up and follow me. What does he do? He gets up and he leaves it all behind and he follows him. And then we see this with Peter and Andrew. Jesus is walking by the seashore. He calls out to them, follow me. They take their nets and they drop them. And they leave their boats and they follow him. We read those things and we just kind of skim through. Peter and Andrew, it's not like us just going on a fishing trip, um, some hobby. It was their livelihood. It was everything to them. From what I remember, it was their father's business. It was what was going to be theirs. And they just take it and drop it and leave. These passages are meant to be shocking. That They just got up and followed this poor Jew who's a carpenter. Why would they follow him? They get up and they follow him. It wasn't because they just chose, yeah, you know, I'll decide to follow this guy. No, it was the almighty call of God, the incarnate God in the flesh, calling out to them by name, and they come. You're my sheep, follow me, and they drop everything. Is that not what happened in your life? Were you not living for yourself in sin, and God called you, and you dropped what you had in front of you, and you wanted him? Now, some of us, it's gradual. I do understand that. And we begin to see changes in our life. But some of us, it is an instant thing as well. And we can remember, we can pinpoint the day when everything changed. I thought totally different because God called you. <clears throat> Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus tells, you know, the three parables there. Luke chapter 15 is just a sweet section of scripture where you have these three parables where Jesus is emphasizing the love for his people and those that are lost. Uh, Luke 15, 3 through 7, I'll go ahead and read that. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice! With me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You want to know how much God loves you and how much Jesus moved heaven and earth to come and find you? It wasn't anything special in us, it's that you were one of His, and He was going to do whatever it takes even go to the cross, to bring you back to himself. And then in the lost coin, the same thing is being said there. And then in the prodigal son, uh, Luke 15, 23, I'll, I'll read that last section there. It says, and bring the fat and calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they begin to celebrate. This is the heart of God and the Lord Jesus Christ for his sheep. He will do whatever it takes to rescue you. From where we stand, it looks like we just believe, right? So we, we don't have the knowledge of the doctrines of grace or these type of things. Most of us, when we come to saving faith in Christ, right? It looks like we just believe, right? I just chose to believe and I believe in God. And, and you did just believe. But... The whole time, God was working behind the scenes. He was orchestrating everything in your life and people in your life to bring about you and the calling of you and drawing you to himself. Everything in your life, and the complete sovereign hand of God, was orchestrated to bring you to himself. He calls, and then we cry out. 
So which one are you this evening? Are you one who has heard the gospel call and have not responded and have made excuses that I hear many times? You know, well, maybe I will do, do that later on in my life, you know, when I settle down a little bit or when I, when I get ready to do that. that just, it, that's an individual that continues to want to live for themselves and does not want to turn to God. Or someone has heard the gospel call and has just outright rejected it and thought it was foolish. Well, I plead with you tonight. Today is a day of salvation. Why, why wait? Why not call out to the Lord Jesus Christ while there is time? While you still breathe his air and your heart still beats within you, call out to him. He is the good shepherd. He will answer that call and he will draw you to himself. God will do his part. But it is our responsibility to respond to the gospel call, to repent of our sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith. Or have you answered the call and you've repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone? If you are the call tonight, this is a doctrine that we don't fight. This is a doctrine that melts our hearts and says, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, I'm one of the elect. The question is never, God, how come you don't save everybody? The question is, how can he save any of us? It's an impossibility that we are saved. It's like something is wrong that the one innocent man, Jesus Christ, died for us when he deserved to live and walk straight into heaven. We deserve the wrath of God. Guess what? You don't have to taste one drop of it if you're in Jesus Christ today. If you're one of his sheep, praise God. This is enough gospel truth for us to worship him all of our days that we are the children of the Almighty God. Another thing that really helps me um, just to marinate on these things is, <clears throat> think of it in this way. So how many sons does God have? God has one son, and his name is Jesus Christ. God has one son. He created the heavens and the earth and all things for that son. He has done everything for the Lord Jesus Christ in displaying his love by making and creating us. He's, he's called the church. Everything's going to be given to Jesus Christ in eternity as a gift. It's all about Jesus. But here's an amazing truth. If you're a child of God today, it's because you've been adopted. Jesus has made a way for all of us to be children. So no longer does God have one child. He has many children, many sons and daughters. And you and I are treated just like Jesus is. That sounds like blasphemy, but it's not. It's reality. Because the power of God and his great love for sinners like us. You are a child of God tonight if you are one of his. And he has quickened you and awakened you and called you to himself. You are a Christian and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. You get to sit at the king's table and in the presence of God for all eternity, enjoying him forever and ever and ever. And as Luke um, last Wednesday, and that final category there, that final list in eternity, us in eternity, there's no longer any sin. You won't struggle with sin. You won't fail him anymore. You'll be able to love him, to serve him like you really want to forever and ever. This is an amazing truth that we are the called of God. Praise God for his great mercy and his great love towards his people and for lost sinners like you and I. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, indeed, we are extremely humbled this evening, Lord, that your 
great mercy would abound so much to save lost sinners like us, Lord, who are headed headlong into our sin, Lord, wanting and desiring the things of this world to please ourselves, Lord, to be autonomous, separated from you. Oh God, but you came in with your great mercy and kindness and love and compassion and grace and quickened our hearts. You call this by name, that all of us here, you know our names, you even ordained our names from the beginning of the world. Lord, how glorious it is, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would all be impacted by your truth this evening, that we would live in such a way, Lord, to give our lives for you because you laid down your life for us. We've been made and created for you, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that everyone in this room that knows you wants to live for you. So please, Lord, if you're going to bless us with anything, bless us with more of you and a greater helping of your spirit to honor you and glorify you and to preach this great gospel to the lost that more sheep would come into the fold. Oh God, again, we thank you for your son. And it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.